morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And the title of the message this morning is Leaving Out the Leaven. I just mentioned that because I'm proud of it. But we want to look at the warning Jesus gives to his disciples concerning the leaven, what he calls the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, I'm interested to know, I want to take a poll really quickly. How many of you during the COVID lockdowns started making bread? Anybody? Any hands? Anybody turn to bread making is to pass the time? You did not. Okay, I didn't either. Which leads me to my second question. How many of you turned to bread eating? Okay, we got a little more. Got a little more. All right, yeah, we, I didn't make it, right? Uh, but I had numerous people who, to pass the time at home, turned to bread making. I'm pretty sure if you looked up the number, the sales for bread makers during that time, it was probably the best years they've had in a long time. Making bread is, is, if I can say this, it's not that difficult if you're making certain kinds of bread, but there are other kinds of bread that are a little more intricate. You, You think about sourdough, you have to have a starter and you have to have certain ingredients when you're making bread and those ingredients determine what kind of bread comes out. Well, this morning we want to look at what is the life of a disciple and what are the ingredients that go into baking disciples. See what I did there instead of making disciples, baking disciples, right? What, what ingredient do we want in there? But, but it's also important when you're making something to know what goes in. It's also important to know what doesn't go in. You know, there's, there's the saying that, that I've heard, and, and I, it's, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? Sometimes it's just as important to know what does not go in the recipe. When we talk about disciples, there is one particular ingredient that Jesus says does not go into making or baking a disciple. When we look in Matthew chapter 16, we're approaching the core of the gospel of Matthew. We're, we're about to enter a turn in the gospel where the narrative shifts tone, Jesus shifts his, his teaching style and emphasis, and that's going to come in the next passage, but we're right on the precipice of this great confession that Peter will make in the next passage that that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We're almost there at the turn. But before we get to the turn, we're taught what do we do with the truths that we see. So how do we bake disciples? Well, We see how not to do it, what the ingredient should not be, one ingredient that should not be in it. When we look in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 1, look at what Matthew says. He says, The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him 
Now, when it says they tested him, this is not to, to prove that they uh, have placed their faith in someone that they trust, that they are making sure that their, their faith is not misplaced. No, this is testing to see if they can get some dirt on him. This is testing to see if they could catch him. And we understand kind of the nefarious nature of what's going on here because it's both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and those two hardly ever get together. It's that old, the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. But they approach Jesus not with a heart or a spirit of, of wanting to be instructed, wanting to learn. They want to catch him. They want to trap him. And what do they ask? They say, show a sign from heaven. Now, what does that mean? Well, to show a sign from heaven, first of all, understand that Matthew places this right after Jesus has just multiplied fish and loaves. Jesus has already shown a sign from heaven. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees ask for another one. So not only are they asking for another one, and Matthew places this right after Jesus has just done one, the implication, I think, is, is there are certain people that no matter how many miracles Jesus does, they will not believe. I mean, what does Jesus eventually do? He rises from the dead, and there are still people who don't believe. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, give us a sign from heaven. Now, I think what they're saying here is, look, Jesus, and tell me if you've ever heard this. Lord, I'll believe if you just write it in the sky. Make it so obvious, so plain that I can't miss it. You know, rearrange the stars as I'm looking up at the sky and align the planets and spell out Jesus. And then I'll know. And you know what that's saying? That's saying, I, God, I don't want to operate on faith. I want to operate on sight. You talk about we walk by faith and not by sight. This is I want to walk by sight and not by faith. But Jesus understands what they're really asking. He's God. He knows. And it says he replied. And what does he say? He says, when evening comes, you say it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, you say, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. Jesus says, how is it that you can predict the weather, but you cannot see the truth of the person that is standing right in front of you? But then notice what he says. He says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. Now, when he calls them an evil and adulterous generation, you have to understand that Jesus' description here recalls Moses' description of the Israelites. Moses calls them an evil generation in Deuteronomy 135. He calls them a devious and crooked generation in Deuteronomy 32.5 and a perverse generation in Deuteronomy 32.20. So Jesus says those who approach Jesus with such a spirit, such a critical, unbelieving, unreceiving spirit to test and to reject and refuse are not that much different from those who rejected the Lord among the Israelites that Moses refers to in Deuteronomy and there are other places in the prophets where this language shows up as well. 
But also, if Jesus is being portrayed as this new Moses, and if he's using the language of Moses, he's also saying they rejected Yahweh, and that's similar to them rejecting me. Jesus is making a not-so-subtle claim to be the Lord of the Old Testament, that he is Yahweh. Now, if, if Jesus is paralleled with Yahweh, and their rejection of him is paralleled with uh, Israel, what does that mean? Well, he says, I'm not going to give a sign. You demand a sign, but I'm not going to give one except the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, that's Jesus talking about his death and his resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus will be in the heart of the earth, in the grave, three days and three nights, and he will rise again. That's the sign of Jonah. Jesus says, that's the sign you're going to get. So he tells them, I'm not going to give you a sign now. You'll get a sign. But then notice what Jesus does. Matthew says, then he left them and went away. And, and that might seem like just a, a minor description to transition to the next scene. But what I really think Matthew is doing here is we, we understand that this is a parting of ways. This approach to Jesus this demand of Jesus, this spirit towards Jesus cannot coexist in following Jesus. He left them and went away. So what is the chief ingredient that cannot exist in the life of a disciple? Well, notice Jesus says that they reached, Matthew says they reached the other shore and the disciples had forgotten to take bread and Jesus told them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he tells them, watch out for this ingredient, this leaven. Now, what is leaven? Leaven is an ingredient that if you added it to the bread, it would spread throughout the whole dough. It, there was no way to contain it. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then verse 7, it says they were discussing among themselves, we didn't bring any bread, all right? So uh, the disciples are a bit dense here. Uh, Jesus says, watch out for the leaven that you would, you, you know, so the, the disciples think Jesus is saying, don't go buy leaven from the Pharisees to make bread. And the, the disciples are like, but we didn't bring any bread. So where are we going to get leaven to make bread? Jesus, you're saying, watch out. So how are we? And, and notice this is right after Jesus just multiplied the bread, right? So there's a little bit of density going on here. And that's why Jesus says in verse 8, aware of this, that they're saying among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. He says, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Verse 9, don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you, beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it wasn't about bread? In other words, Jesus says, if you really understood those miracles, you would understand I'm not talking about bread. We don't need to worry about bread. I can multiply bread. And then verse 12, 
Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the leaven and bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So there it is right there. What is the ingredient that should not go into the life of a disciple? It's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The question becomes, what is that teaching? Commentators speculate. People will say, well, it's one teaching, it's singular, so there's, what's, what's a teaching that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would agree on? But I think the answer is in the text. They both come to Jesus, and what do they do? What they do is the ingredient that cannot go into the life of a disciple. The Pharisees and the Sadducees reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. Jesus says, beware of a spirit and a heart that rejects me. So if you leave here remembering nothing else, I hope you remember this. Disciples are to believe and receive Jesus as he reveals himself. Disciples, you as a follower of Christ are to believe and receive Jesus as he reveals himself. Now, we see that the Pharisees rejected him. We see that the disciples didn't really understand them. Their rejection is more of a, a passive. It, it, it's less critical. It, it, it's more out of ignorance. But... In one sense, you could say they reject Jesus, that they don't understand. But we are to believe and receive Jesus as he reveals himself. Now, I think in our text and in the scriptures, there are ways that, that Jesus reveals himself. I want to tell you two ways that Jesus reveals himself. The first way is he reveals himself in his person and in his work. He reveals himself and his person and his work. Who he is and what he does says something, teaches something about who he is. So, how does he do that? Well, first of all, how does he reveal himself in his person and work? He reveals himself in his incarnation. Y'all okay? It's okay. It's okay. It's perfectly okay. God reveals himself in Jesus Christ because Jesus is God. So he reveals himself in his carnation. Jesus coming in the flesh teaches us something about who Jesus is. About who God is. About the nature and the desire of God for redemption and accomplishing redemption so he reveals himself in his incarnation his person and his work but then he reveals himself through miracles and teaching we see that in the gospels do we not him just being here teaches and him doing the miracles and teaching he's teaching others so the disciples are getting this firsthand education right they're being shown they're seeing but if we are to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't walking the earth anymore. 
And we're not seeing him do miracles, and we can't go to his conference. He's not hosting a conference that we can go to. So how do we know? Well, he reveals himself in his person and work, but he also reveals himself in his word, in his scriptures that he has given us. And so if you think of it this way, disciples are to believe and receive Jesus Christ as he reveals himself in his word. The portrait that this book paints of Jesus is the portrait that we are to believe and receive. Notice that the scriptures lie behind a lot of what's going on here. He says, we said that he's compared to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees are uh, described in terms of Israel. And if you remember, if you go back, Moses predicted that a prophet would come that would be greater than Moses. And here he is. If you knew that and you believe that, then you would believe Jesus. He reveals himself as the compassionate Christ. We talked about that last week. How he reveals the heart of God. How he reveals God's compassion. And we believe that and receive that because it's given to us in the word. So disciples are to believe and receive Jesus Christ as he reveals himself. The posture is not that we take this book and we pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. That's the Pharisees. That's the Sadducees. We like that you're doing signs. Could you do another one? But a disciple, a disciple takes a posture that, that takes this book and, and, and this word, the word of God, and, and receives the, the image, the portrait that Jesus gives and the, the image of Jesus that's given to us. And so here I want to make one, one minor application if I can because it was something that that came out of study and I just want to share it with you the the biblical Jesus the Jesus that's portrayed and and the portrait we have in this book this, this word that's the best Jesus that's the best Jesus if The posture of a disciple is simply to receive, not to alter, not to change, not to pick and choose. It's not just about, it it, it could be about several other things, but, but I want you to understand is that any change you try to make, anything you might try to pick and choose or leave out, that is a degradation. That is to create a God in your own image that is less than the picture of Jesus that we get through simply receiving him as he is revealed in the word. The biblical Jesus is the best Jesus. Now, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe there's parts about Jesus that you really struggle with. Or maybe there's parts you don't understand. Maybe, maybe you don't believe in Jesus because you say, there's parts I don't like. I don't like that he says this. I don't like this or that. Well, understand this. The biblical Jesus is the best Jesus. You can't get any better. He is 
the, the sweetest Jesus. He's the greatest Jesus. He is the, 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 he, he's perfect in his perfections as they are revealed in Scripture. You cannot improve upon the portrait that God gives of himself and his word. God tells us who he is. He shows us who he is. And by, by extension, that gift that we get in that portrait, that's the greatest gift. It's the most beautiful picture. It is the greatest good. It is the most satisfying food that you can feast on. Biblical Jesus is the best Jesus. And when we see that, we either take it or we leave it. That's it. The Pharisees rejected it. But disciples are to believe it. Say, yes, that's the portrait of Jesus. That's the, Je- that's the one true God. And I'm going to align my life with that portrait. Not align that portrait with my life. Not align Jesus with the way I want my life to be. But I need to align my life with the way Jesus is. And who he is. If you want to know what one of the biggest problems in Christianity today is we are so quick to make Jesus our pet Jesus, our pocket Jesus, our manageable Jesus, drive-through Jesus, whatever kind of Jesus other than the biblical Jesus. Just, just think about the foolishness of saying I have this thing in my life and I want to distort this perfect image so that I can keep this little thing. But that's what we do. But disciples are to believe and receive as he reveals himself. The Pharisees rejected the portrait. The disciples misunderstood the portrait. But again, remember the main idea is believers, disciples are to receive Believe Jesus Christ as he reveals himself. Now, let's make one admission that we need to go ahead and get out of the way. That's not good for any of us. Think about it. If the required response, if the right response to the biblical portrait of Jesus is that we are to receive him and to believe in him as he is. And we look at this, where do you find yourself in this text? You either are the one who rejects or the one who misunderstands. And neither one of those are portrayed as, well, desirable groups to be in. Do we not fail We do. Even he gets it. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. We fail to align our lives with that portrait. We fail to to see that portrait as, as good and to savor it and to see it as beautiful as it is. We are so prone to want to distort that image and recreate it and twist it and pervert it. We fall short. So the question is, what hope is there? If the right response is to believe and receive, but we very often don't do that, what hope do we have? I want you to leave here this morning. I want to to share just three truths as we kind of zoom out of this passage and consider it in light of the whole Bible. Three truths that give us 
an assurance that, that we can leave here knowing and being comforted that God is good and kind and gracious. And so what are those three truths? Number one, God gives us scripture so that we can know him. Sometimes we think that, based on, maybe based on this passage, that, that God has so created the ways of knowing him that, that it's a labyrinth, it's a maze. That he only rewards those who can figure out their way to the end. That God has created these barriers because he, he only wants the, the, the elite, the, the, the ones who can figure it out and get there on their own to know him. That he somehow made it more difficult. But folks, that cannot be further from the truth. God has given us this word so that we might know him. God wants you to know him. He desires for you to know him. This word, because it reveals that God wants us to know him, this word does not lead you astray. So first of all, understand that God gives us the scripture. If we are to believe and receive Jesus Christ as he's revealed, and this word reveals him perfectly without error, without error in, in a trustworthy, uh, complete, perfect manner, and God wants us to know him, then, then understand God is not absconding he's not hiding he's not seeking to make it more difficult so that's the first truth we we know jesus by the scriptures and the scriptures were given to us so that we can know him but then secondly a truth i hope that comforts you it comforts me jesus christ is risen from the dead jesus christ is risen from the dead and you say now where, did, where does that come from? Well, first of all, it comes from the fact that Jesus says, I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is the sign of Jonah. Jesus will die and rise again. He has proven that he is who he says he is. He's accomplished what he said he would accomplish. He is God. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. But I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because this... 1 Corinthians 15 connects these two ideas. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 and following. Now, you know 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection, right? It's all about Paul saying that if Jesus Christ has not risen, our faith is in vain. But he is risen, and so there are definite applications to this. And he gets towards the end here, and notice what one of those applications of the resurrection verse 47 the first man was from the earth a man of dust the second man is from heaven verse 48 like the man of dust so are those who are of the dust like the man of heaven so are those who are of heaven so he's using adam He's talking about Adam. We are created in, in the image of God. We are descended from Adam, right? But then notice what he says in verse 49. We are like Adam because we're from Adam, but we will be like the man of heaven 
Verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. The biblical portrait of Jesus, who Jesus is, how Jesus is. Paul says, because of the resurrection, you won't just know about Jesus and you won't just know about that portrait, but because of the resurrection, you will become made and and recreated and shaped and, and formed into that portrait. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead so that we are made more and more like that beautiful portrait. So, God gives us the scriptures so that we can know him. God rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. But the third truth I want to share with you that I think encourages us this morning is that the gospel of Christ is our great hope. Let's go back to that that second one for just a minute. The point there is that when you hear this text, you might feel discomforted because you might be resting your assurance on how well you've perceived the portrait. Does that make sense? Like I really know and trust and believe that I'm saved because... I feel like I, I have a good picture of the portrait. Well, what happens if you feel like you get a lot of that portrait wrong or you're still learning and you're still growing? The point of the second comfort there is not, the point is that your assurance is Christ, not on how well you see the picture, right? Your assurance of salvation, your assurance as a disciple is Christ, What does Paul say? Paul says, we see now as in a dimly lit mirror, right? So, so yes, your your perception of the portrait may be imperfect. It may be flawed. But if your posture is receiving, resting, believing in the portrait that you see that comes out of the scriptures, the good news is the gospel, going to the third one, the gospel of Christ is our great hope. It reveals, it assures, it promises that God has done everything for us to see the portrait, to believe it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to flip to Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans 8. and You probably know where this is going. Romans 8. Verses 28. Keeping in mind this this notion of the portrait of Jesus, the image of Jesus, what does Paul say in Romans 8? Verse 28, We know that all things work together for the good, of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Okay? Now listen. Verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined to what? 
predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. So that he, the son, would be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. <laughs> Folks. Before you breathed your first breath. Christian, before you were an announcement, before you were that little black and white grainy photograph, God knew you. He saw you. Christian, he chose you. Before the foundation of the world. Why? To what end? What does Paul say? Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're here this morning and you're worried that you haven't seen the picture clearly, you haven't seen it clearly enough, maybe, maybe there's parts that you've rejected and you're worried that you're not a disciple, understand this, Paul and Romans 8 says that God will see to it that you receive him as he reveals himself. He foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So, stay with me. Stay with me. Jesus and the scriptures reveal this beautiful, the best, the best that could possibly be known. The most beautiful portrait that could possibly be seen. The greatest relationship we could possibly have. And there's two options. Either we perceive it perfectly enough and well enough that we respond rightly all the time. Or... We trust in the one who paid for our sins. We trust and rest in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, that he is who he says he is, that he is what? Go just a little bit further. In Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 16. We'll get to this in two weeks, but Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're the promised one. You're the Savior. You're the one we've been waiting for. So a disciple starts there. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've believed that he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God, understand you have seen the portrait God has opened your eyes. You have seen. And what that means is those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. 
you will one day see that portrait in full. You will see it with your own eyes. So a disciple believes and receives Jesus Christ as he reveals himself. And how has he revealed himself? In his word. And what has he revealed himself to be? Our Savior. Not just our Savior. Surely there's more. But we, we start there. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the gospel assures you, the gospel comforts you, the gospel promises that those whom God has called will also be glorified. So you know what you actually have done to see Jesus the way you should? Do you know what you did to actually see this beautiful Savior, this beautiful portrait? Do you know what you did to have the best gift, to see the most beautiful thing that can be seen? You know what you did? Absolutely nothing. And that's part of why the picture is so beautiful, isn't it? That though we didn't deserve it, Jesus revealed himself. God revealed himself to us. A disciple believes and receives Jesus Christ as he reveals himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, God, that this great portrait we have of of who Jesus is. God, our, our two options are to to reject it or to accept it, to take it or leave it. There's not a third option. Maybe, maybe there's an area in our lives where we, we've chosen to reject who Jesus is or to reject his authority over that area in our life. Or Lord, maybe someone's here this morning and they've tried to play the game where they pick and choose which kind of Jesus they want to follow. They're, they're open to... to the good teacher Jesus. They're open to the social concern Jesus. They're open to uh, treat others the way you want to be treated, Jesus. But God, they, they reject the, the Savior who bled and died to take away sins. They reject the idea that, that we're sinners in need of grace. Lord, however it is, your Spirit has shown in our hearts that we needed this, God. May we respond. But God, if nothing else, may we respond with gratitude. God, that that great portrait, that beautiful image of Jesus, not only are we shown it, not only do we get to see it, but we are being conformed into the image of it. It is becoming a part of who we are. And it's all by grace. So thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.